Welcome to Stoner. This is our second episode. This is a show where I talk to creative people about their experiences with weed and whatever else. Uh, this week on the show, Justin Wallet. Justin is someone who's been super active in technology. Uh, he's worked on Vimeo. He's worked on Tumblr. He worked at the New York Times. He did a project called the Mux Tape that was all over the internet in whatever year that was, kind of a long time ago that it came out, until it got shut down by the uh, Recording Industry of America. He has been involved in a lot of cool stuff, which made me surprised uh, when he told me what he was going to do next, which is not something I uh, traditionally think of as a technology uh, project. He started a marijuana testing facility in his hometown, Portland, Oregon. Um, I talked to him about what it's like setting up a lab, um, what kinds of scientific discoveries that kind of testing might lead to, and generally what caused him to take this pretty big shift in his life. Welcome, Justin Wallet. Thank you. You are the proprietor of uh, Lightscale Labs. So yes. I'm, I'm trying to read. I'm reading your T-shirt right yeah. now. Yeah, no, I'm wearing the shirt. I appreciate that you're not above um, that kind of self-promotion. I think that's the way to go. Oh uh, no, I wore it specifically. For I would, my I would, audience of one here. I would like. I would, <laughs> I would like one of those T-shirts. Uh, what does Lightscale Labs do? So we are an environmental testing services company, and we specialize in cannabis testing in Oregon for the Oregon recreational cannabis market. Why? Why does marijuana need to be tested? It's a great question. So marijuana is something that you put into your body. Yeah. And like a lot of things that we put into our body, um, there are regulations in this country. Yeah. And so for, for instance, now, for now, it's true. <laughs> um, ideally there are some standards for, yes. for instance, uh, if you're buying grapes at the store, yeah. it's like, you want to know that there are not harmful pesticides in the grapes or things that are banned substances or heavy metals or those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So same thing. It's like, um, Cannabis is being turned into things to eat and to smoke, and it's undergoing a lot of processes that involve chemicals and pesticides and other things that can cause it to be harmful to human health. So the state of Oregon has, in its great wisdom, truly, um, laid down a set of rules for what are the acceptable levels of various pesticides? What are the, you know, yeah, is this moldy? Is it full of microbes? <laughs> like, <laughs> is it safe? Is really the question. So um, that's a new concept for everyone. So it's like, what determines what is safe for marijuana and marijuana products is a question that everyone's trying to answer right now. And legally, it's being done on a state-by-state -state basis. So I just grew a bunch of weed. I, I head down to your offices. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, uh, in, uh, not, it's not in, Port it's in Beaverton? We're in North Portland. North Portland. Yeah. All right. Hop in my uh, uh, Subaru uh, Outback. That would be appropriate, uh, and uh, and take my trash bag full of weed over there. What do you <laughs> what do you do to my my raw plant matter when it arrives at your lab? So the first thing you do is you hand it through a window to a sampling technician who is a scientist at our lab, and the first thing they do is they take a representative sample. So they from different points in the bag, depending on the weight, will take a percentage of it, and they'll give it back to you um, with the new weight recorded on it. And the little bit that we take, it's homogenized and depending on which tests you need done, and the tests are different depending on um, what you're making and who you're selling it to, um, we grind it up and mix it with solvents. In some cases, we mix it with gas, we mix it with other things to prepare it for the machines in the lab that do the actual testing. Well, so you're exposing it to gas before it even goes into the machine? So it's 
Yeah, the gas chromatography is really interesting. It's it's kind of a unique thing. We have two liquid chromatography machines yeah. and a gas chromatography machine. What is chromatography? So chromatography is... Uh, it's, I feel like I'm just going to ask you a series of questions where in each answer you're going to have to use one word I don't know, and it's just going to get deeper and deeper. Okay. <laughs> deeper, and deeper. <laughs> so what is, what is chrom chromatography first? So chromatography yeah. is... Uh, it's Greek. It means color writing. And it is a it's a lab technique, I guess is the right word for it. And it's quite old, and it yeah. essentially involves um, separating something into its constituent parts. So liquid chromatography, the idea is like in the instance of like a flower sample, for instance, like if you had just some typical, you know, like dried cured pot, like we could take it and combine it with solvents and um, some other chemicals to turn it into like a kind of like a liquid slurry form. And then once it's prepared properly, um, we run it through this machine that essentially has like a very long capillary tube. It's like extremely thin. It's very high pressure. And as it's forced through the tube, it moves at different speeds. The different material in the sample moves at different speeds through the machine. And so what the machines ultimately do is measure what's called retention time. So it measures how long it takes for those things to pass through. And it kind of um, creates a fingerprint that we can read that tells us, what those things are based on how slowly they move through the through the uh, the column. Since cannabis testing is relatively new, we're less than a decade into legalization in America. Are these techniques that were adapted from testing other substances? In some way, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because cannabis, it turns out, is a very complex and interesting plant chemically, and right. so it requires um, like more sensitive technique and machinery than something like hops or um, other similar plants, like chemically structured. The actual technique, and it's something they even do like in high school, like you might have even done it where you do like a, an experiment and like with a coffee filter yeah. and like the colors spread out like from a marker and you can see like what the different things are because they move different speeds through the uh, the filter medium. So the processes have been known for a long time, but like the, the exact methods to do it correctly are still kind of up in the air. Like when we we went through an accreditation process to become licensed to test marijuana in Oregon. Yeah. So that involves um, a lab accreditation with the Oregon Health Authority that is just the same as any other lab that's doing environmental testing. Um, so the techniques are are like people are still figuring out what they are. It's like yeah. people have been testing water and soil for a long time, and those are extremely standard. Everyone does it the same way. For something like a potency test or residual solvents or pesticides, it's um, there might be five different ways to do it, and we don't know what the best way is yet or the most efficient. On one level, what you're doing as a testing service is telling me what's not in there, the things I don't want to be in there, mold, contaminants, etc. Once you've established that those are not present or they're present in trace enough amounts that it's safe uh, in it, what is the other information that you're extracting from raw marijuana, and, and how might it be used in the future? It's a great question. It's um, there's a ton of data, and we're actually we're collecting more than we need at this point. The yeah. state kind of requires us to do a certain base level, um, but one of the most interesting kind of classes of of chemical in the plant is uh, called a terpene, and so terpene is kind of like it's kind of like a flavor molecule, um, but it's it's an unexplored area in terms of this plant. There's like a lot of suspicion about. The fact that some terpenes might be psychoactive, that might contribute to the um, the mental effects, um, and so 
that is one area that we're really interested in looking at yeah. is terpene profiling. Terpenes are like um, wine aficionados have known them for a long time because they're they can be kind of you know pigeonholed as things that cause like a particular kind of taste or flavor in wine, like a pininess or lemon comes from a certain you know common terpene, etc. Yeah. So cannabis is full of them, and that's that's uh, so that's one thing. Um, the different cannabinoid um, components are kind of like, it's another area where everyone knows THC and THC potency has kind of been used as like a shorthand for like overall, like, you know, like analogy to like alcohol content, like on a, like on a beer or something, but it's not quite comparable. It's like the different, um, the different chemicals in the plant cause different effects and like having them in different proportions cause different effects. And we don't know the full extent. So as this exploration happens, there's a lot of like product development that's going on at the same time. Yeah. So um, in this industry, it's kind of well known that the most popular thing is not going to be just like raw cut marijuana. That's the type that you may have bought in a, you know, like a Ziploc bag, like when you were in high school. <laughs> um, it's instead, it's stuff like um, vape cartridges and uh, shatter and wax and edibles and things. So it's it's especially important in those cases too because um, they can be controlled chemically. Like you're already seeing a lot of products where they are trying to like artificially control the different um, concentrations of terpenes and different things so that they can create some consistency. A big right. thing that's been missing from like marijuana for a long time like as a product is consistency. It's like you can get something that has the same strain name but there's no control at all over, you know, like the genetics of the plant or like the growing conditions and all these things. It's ultimately at the end of the day, it's still a plant. It's like, you can have a very controlled indoor grow, but like so many different things affect it. You know, is it, would it be uh, correct to say most of the way that people market strains of marijuana is through the genetic lineage of the plants that created it. Yes. But potentially chemical testing and terpene identification could lead to a different way to identify strains that would be more stable and more uh, reproducible. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I think that like it's terpenes again are just one component of it. Yeah. But to me, it's like it's hard not to draw analogies to alcohol. Like again, I think that like a, a, another good analogy is like the way that like Johnny Walker Scotch is made, for instance. It's not, you know, from any particular distillery, but it's like they have learned to, through human taste, uh, like blend many different distilleries together to get roughly the same tasting Johnny Walker for each bottle. So I think that like there are farms trying to do the same thing. It's like they want to have a signature thing that's like maybe not a particular strain, but is associated with their farm that is um, a particular profile of taste and effect and, you know, fits in with their product line. Um, and to do that, you need scientific quantification. It's like, it's not enough to just, um, smoke a little bit. And you when, know. when you walk into a dispensary now and you see like the big board with like all of the strains and like, are you now as, as a more engineering minded person kind of like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I don't know. It's like, I have a, like a lot of respect for like the, um, the, like, the mystical beginnings of this, you know, it's yeah. like, I kind of see it as like, it's, we're, we're living through a time of transitioning from prehistory into a time when people are writing things down and recording data about it. 
So there's another company in Portland called Phylos Bioscience that is dealing exclusively with the genetics, which is really interesting. So like what we do is not as related to strain identification and we don't examine plant DNA, but there are people who are looking at that and that's kind of like its own area of study, which is super interesting unto itself. When was the first time you smoked weed? Oh, wow. Oh man. I don't think anyone's, I'm not sure. No one's prepared for this question. No, it's true. Um, I imagine it was like probably early high school, maybe freshman year. Like I experimented a couple of times, but I didn't really become much of a smoker until like the end of my college years, actually. Where, just, where are you from? I'm from Portland, Oregon. Okay. And I went to school in Eugene, Oregon at the university of Oregon. What, what was the, uh, what was the weed climate like at your high school in Oregon? So it's funny. It's just like weed is everywhere in Oregon and it's like, it's a huge part of the culture. And I grew up in the West Hills and a big part of the West Hills is a giant area called Forest Park, which is actually like one of the largest urban parks um, in the country. And it's just a big forest on a hill and it's beautiful and it's very secluded. And there's a lot of like, you know, hippies and hippie sympathizers who live in that area. And um, when I was in middle school, even before high school, I remember there was actually like a, uh, like a ring of weed growing moms that got into a little like, scrape a trouble and you know they had to do some community service or something but it's just yep. kind of like that's what i mean is like it's always kind of in the background and it's like it's hard to you know see it as too terrible a thing if there's a bunch of moms in the west hills growing it you know so like towards the end of college i mean i started actually just um purely for a love of like let's just put on some records and it was yep. just like i just had like an amazing summer just like a classic thing and i had a good friend who was my roommate um who was kind of like my my um, introduction into that. But shortly after that, I was diagnosed with uh, Crohn's disease, which is like a common autoimmune disorder that affects the, um, the digestive system. And it turns out that marijuana is an amazing treatment for it. Hmm. And so um, it kind of very quickly became a thing I was like depending on as a, uh, a treatment, I guess, as much as like a recreational thing. So I'm happy to say I'm feeling a lot better now, and I still enjoy smoking marijuana as like a <laughs> purely recreational pursuit. So during the period that you started smoking weed, um, you were mostly working as a programmer. Yes. Do those things overlap for you? Oh, man, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. It's interesting because like, I would say that, like, and I've lived in New York for 10 years now, so it's um, it's not the most popular drug here you know i think maybe that's changed a little bit um but it's like for me particularly like if you um are thinking about really abstract things and like trying to like reason about problems that are hard to visualize or find like physical analogies to it's like it's just kind of amazing for that kind of thing um you're living out a fantasy that many people who enjoy marijuana may have which is uh going back to your hometown and starting a marijuana business, uh, with your friends and family. Yes. Tell, tell us, tell us about what it was like, what, what you, what was the seed? Our lab is actually, it's a family business. So I have three brothers. Um, the three younger brothers, me and my two other brothers are, um, together in this. And my older brother, Jesse actually was his idea really, uh, for this company. And he kind of said, Hey, like, you know, like we have another family friend who is um, a scientist and, you know, like this could be a thing that we could, you know, 
get into. It's like we've talked about doing a family business for a long time, and this is just a super exciting thing. I mean, regardless of the fact that we all kind of like casually use it and et cetera, but um, the more we talked about it and we started talking to Aaron, who's our chief scientist about it, and like, what would this take? And like, who else is doing it? And it just kind of snowballed from there. And like, by the end of 2015, um, you know, we'd drawn up the spreadsheets and like thought enough about it that it was like, okay, like, let's let's really give this a go. What what has been the hardest part about getting this off the ground? Wow, I mean, it's like number one, it's been hard, but it's also been amazing. It's like it's my favorite thing I've ever done yeah. e easily. And the hardest thing initially actually was was finding the right real estate. Um, How long did it take from the point when you like? started putting this together to a completed lab environment. It took us really about six months of work. Yeah. And so a lot of that is in, we've taken kind of a hard path because we are doing a lot of things um, that haven't really been tried with these machines fully yet. So like one thing for instance is like for a gas chromatography, we use a number of different gases. Normally in a lab you'd have a gas you know, delivery service that would bring you like big tanks of these different things. So we decided we'd be better served um, and that it would be more ecologically sound to generate the gas on demand. So instead of having tanks of gas, we have um, these gas generator machines. So they can generate like super clean hydrogen, super clean nitrogen, pure air, and the machines draw the gas off the, the generators like as they need them, which is great. Um, but that's not a configuration these things are commonly used. So it's like we had to kind of go through a process of figuring that out. So it's like, it's, you know, we didn't, we weren't starting from scratch and everything, but it's like a lot of setting up a lab I've found is there's a lot of kind of just like secret sauce that you develop as you go along. And like, there's a ton of documentation you have to do. It's documentation is everything in a lab. It's yes. just like everything is about quality control and procedures and forms and stuff and documenting exactly the way things happen and being able to audit against those things. So, doing that and developing the methods to do the testing like i mentioned before it's not totally clear yet like what's the easiest way to do a lot of this stuff so we've done a lot of experimenting do you want to talk about the fire or is that something you would prefer not to be out there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we, no i'm happy to talk about okay. it okay I'm, I'm gonna set it up for yeah, you yeah yeah uh so okay at this point in this interview i have a confession to make <laughs> which is this is the second time we've done this interview it's well true. we've this is the second time we've done the interview up to here and we talked, uh, I don't remember how many months ago, it was a few months ago, and then I got a text from someone and they were like, oh my God, did you hear about Justin? And I, was like, <laughs> uh, I was like, that's a, that's never a good text to get. <laughs> so what happened? Yeah, so we had a, um, we had a fire. Um, like, like three weeks after we moved into the space, it was terrible. It, like, we, um, we have taken many precautions against fire i mean like especially in our lab we deal with some you know a couple of volatile chemicals chemicals and so but all the preparation in the world can't help you for your neighbor having a fire which is <laughs> what happened to us so three in the morning the auto body shop next door um caught fire and our side was spared the flames but the massive like exhalation of smoke from that side of the building um just like coated everything in our lab in this like horrible black film all of our sensitive machines like it was just uh really horrible tell me about where you were like the day after that happened did you consider giving up no not for a minute it like it was just uh it was totally shocking but it was also one of those things where it was just like well if we can get through this like yeah <laughs> <laughs>
you know, it, nothing is going to seem too difficult. Are you are you playing with your own money on this venture? I mean, is that something like yeah. when it catches fire, it's like, oh, that's my money that caught on fire over there? Yeah, and we, I mean, and we were insured. Yeah, but it's like all the insurance in the world doesn't help you like deal with the the massive disruption. Like we had to move into a new space, right? And we were just very lucky to have a backup. Um, to be able to set up our machines and everything again and while well, they remodeled the current space. So it, it was, it's like every small business owner's nightmare, <laughs> but at the same time, having lived through it, like we've built two labs now. So the experience of doing it twice, like the second time much easier. I mean, honestly, and we were able to do it right the first time, like with all the lessons that we learned the first time. So how has this experience of building this business changed you as a consumer of marijuana? So Do you still I, enjoy it? Oh man, I enjoy it even more. It, yeah, yeah. No, it's. I've learned so much about it, and it's just it's cool because like we're really excited about like sharing our side of it with everyone too. It's like the science part of it is is really fun, honestly. Yeah. And it's it's just um, I think we have a like a we feel like there's a greater mission for us of like education, I guess, about it. Um, even for people who aren't users of it, it's like chances are you know someone who does. It's a part of our culture. It's it's um, right. It's part of our American culture, really. I mean, what you're doing is in some ways scientific research. A lot of the times when you see um, statements in the media or from the government about marijuana, the conclusion will be like, well, we don't really know. We haven't tested it. Yeah. We, ha we don't have the proper yeah. testing to know that, <laughs> right. which is always a, a catch-22 because there's they've, a reason they've made there it hasn't illegal. been tested. Yeah. So as someone who's processing hundreds and hundreds of pounds of marijuana and doing extremely advanced chemical analysis of it, the data set you're sitting on uh, may be larger than most scientific researchers are sitting on within a year or two. It could be. What What do you see doing with all that data? We're going to do some research. Yeah. So it's it's that's the thing is like what we've built really is a production laboratory. It is designed for a specific purpose and we are moving things through it kind of like uh, you know, like on a conveyor belt, basically, through different machines. Um, at the same time, we are very excited to do some real research. And because a lot of the research, scientific research in this country is um, it's funded by grants and by federal money, again. So it's the kind of thing where it's just no one wants to risk that and no one else is willing to pay for it because there's not really a commercially, you know, sound reason to do it. So we even just through the process of creating a production laboratory have discovered so much and it's you know it's it seems like a no-brainer to move into research has has there been anything counterintuitive or revelatory about the data you've already collected uh, no I, I think like but we, we i guess are, you're setting a baseline now because you didn't have anything to compare it to that's very true yeah um part i mean part of like and this is where like my experience just having worked on the web for the last 10 years, I think comes, comes into play a little bit is like this industry is not used to like analytics in the same way. It's like a lot of it is driven by just kind of like introspection and a lot of the knowledge gets locked into the lab, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So as we collect more and more data, um, one of the things we're the most excited about is finding the patterns in it, finding the different ways to expose things about that data that are, you know, important to product development that are important to the bottom line. Um, I, I could see us hiring a data scientist, you know, 
um, very soon to like kind of think about these things along with someone who's scientifically minded about it. I normally ask people on the show um, what their family thinks about what they're doing, or <laughs> what their family thinks about marijuana. But uh, I know at least two of the people in your family um, are on board. Uh, what does the rest of your family think? Uh, they think it's great. Yeah, uh, yeah that's funny. My dad is an old hippie. I, like I, I think that he would be totally cool with me saying that. Um, and you know, he's a jazz musician in his youth, and uh, it's like, yeah, he he thinks it's great. Um, okay, I want to play a quick game, a uh, quick um, uh, round of questions okay. for you. Uh, we call this uh, peak experiences. <laughs> okay. Peak experience. First question: What is your favorite way to enjoy marijuana? What's what's your routine? Oh, I'm, a, I'm a joint smoker. Yeah. It is the it is so it's the most indulgent and like maybe inefficient, but that is my preferred delivery mechanism. Yeah. Tell me about like your ideal joint. See, my ideal joint is. Um, you know, it's about a gram, it's a slight cone shape, you know, very slight taper towards the end. It's, uh, it's wrapped in a slow burning hemp based paper with uh, no bleach or additives. Um, it's ground tightly, but not too tightly with flour. That's at exactly the right humidity, say 60%, just that exact level of stickiness. That is just to me like the finest. That is that is the filet mignon. I think of, and I can't. You know, smoking is bad for you. Yeah. Like it's, don't get it in your head that like you can smoke marijuana consequence for you for your lungs. But ooh, it's hard to top that. Best travel experience. Number one place you've visited in your life. Oh wow, um, wow, that's a good question. I spent a pretty amazing semester in Paris when I was in college. Yeah, um, it was it was decidedly cannabis free. Actually, not a popular thing in France. No, no, no local hash even. <laughs> um, I did have some local hash, I think, one time. But um, yeah, and like those Europeans, they like to they like to mix it with tobacco. It's just not my thing. It's like for an American, that that seemed very like kind of uh, I don't know, diluting the experience a little bit. You're going to a desert island. There's weed on this desert island. You can bring one album to listen to while smoking the unlimited weed on this island for the rest of your life. What do you bring? Wow. Well, if I had four record players, maybe the Flaming Lips, Zyrica. I was just uh, talking with a friend about that recently. Expans expansive choice. Yes. I think there's a lot to discover there and a lot of serendipity that could be uh, found each time you listen to it. So I've never actually listened to Zyrica on four record players. Oh, yeah. Is it just octophonic sound, like eight channel sound, or or is there something to the like slight mismatch in the in the record playing speed? Yeah. I assume you can't get it going exactly in sync, and that's part of the point. And it's like it's not it's designed to like you know be a little bit loose. Yeah, but I think it's the spatial element of it too. Like I, I read that originally it was intended, or it came out of some like experiment they did where they just had a like a bunch of cars like in a parking garage and like the the reverb in the parking garage added to it and like the positions of the different cars and, like depending on where you're standing like in the sound field you have a different experience um yeah i just always thought that was so cool last question this one's special for you since uh you're the only person i know who has anything scientific i normally don't ask people this because i'm worried i'm like perpetuating bullshit but I think of your answer will not be bullshit, which is, do you have a favorite strain? Oh, um, and do you have, and do you have opinions on the sativa indica axis? 
Yeah, so that's really interesting. I think it's like a lot of things where it is kind of an op- an oversimplification, you know. And there's even another um, kind of like a branch of the family that people forget, ruderalis. Whoa, which is just you heard like, it here first. <laughs> what is ruderalis? Or I'm, I'm sure I'm getting that wrong. It's um, it's uh, it sounds like something that like grows only in a certain area of the Himalayas. It's it's the, it's that kind of thing. Like it's it's like very low potency. Like it's it's hemp essentially, um, but it, it's like for me, terpenes are the most interesting thing. Like for me, the experience is as much the like taste and smell of it too. Like and even if you don't recognize a particular strain, I think if you go into um, especially now that you can like walk into a retail shop and like be exposed. To, like before, you're kind of limited to whatever you're your guy had yes. you know, or your delivery service if you live in New York. And like, um, now you can go and like put your face into like a giant jar of like a dozen different strains, and like smell 12 different things and taste 12 different things when you smoke them. So, um, I have like noticed myself gravitating towards a certain kind of like sharp thing that's, you know, that I detect in certain strains and it's like, that's usually what I go for is kind of by smell, I guess. Hmm. Um, I, I kind of think I'm not alone too. It, it's just like your sense of smell is so powerful and sensitive and, um, it might not tell you much about like the psychoactive properties of it, but I think it's definitely like that is a place where people kind of like have an early preference if they're exposed to enough choices. Yeah. I think, I think you're right that smell is just something, I mean, especially in, in with regards to what we were talking about with consistency. Yeah. I think it's hard to have a consistent psychoactive experience because your entire brain is at play and also your memory is at play, forcing you to often not accurately remember an experience you've had. Whereas a sense memory, like a smell, it's not corrupted in the same way. But do you find that things that follow a similar smell profile give you a similar experience or you just know that there's a smell profile you like? purely on the aesthetic basis of the smell see yeah that's the thing is like it's no i haven't noticed any consistency if and the, i also admit that i'm not the like um, most sophisticated consumer it's like yeah. i i do run this lab but it's like um i don't even think i have a very good sense of smell <laughs> <laughs> well to me the smell is amazing it's just like i love the smell of like um like always i've always loved the smell of like fabric softener and like laundry detergents and like pine small Solid smell and like cleaners and stuff and like um so like there's a smell often people associate it with like kerosene like kind of like a kerosene smell and there's like a piney smell that people get from certain strains like one that's like a little more lemony Mm -hmm. sometimes like it's a cross between those skunky in there too yeah skunky sometimes like a little like mustier smelling so a lot of the smells are the smells i think of as physical smells like a skunk smell you feel like it's inside your nose yeah totally oh yeah and it it can linger too yeah that's a big part of it so, um, I definitely like steer towards those strains that are like, just got that really pine lemon kind of like sharpness to them. And, you know, I, I kind of work along the Indica Sativa axis too, but the other great thing about this retail experience is you can go into a shop now and talk to somebody who knows better than you. It's like the bud tender at any one of these places, um, is someone who knows. <laughs> and I've found, especially at, um, you know, some of my, the favorites that I've developed over the last year in Portland, um, they are 
you know, they're always quick with an opinion about it. In that more open legal environment, I've yet to live in a place where I could just go to the same store. Are you inclined to, when you find something you like, try and keep repeating that experience, yes. same strain, same yes. store? Or are you like, let's like restaurants, like let's try a new one every time? No, it's like, so for me, and that's one of the best things about it is like a lot of places will work with one or just a few farms. And depending on the farm, they're trying to like have signature strains. So like um, a strain that I've really enjoyed recently, just to throw one out there, yeah. um, you know, no uh, product endorsement here, but like <laughs> Super Silver Haze from Scissor Tail Farms in Portland or in Oregon. And Pharma sells that. So Pharma will cycle out their um, their strains, you know, over the course of time. But any given strain they'll have for like some weeks at the very least and sometimes for months. So it's like... Once it goes, I'll try to, you know, find something else. But it's like, there's so many ways to like judge, um, judge a strain. Like, especially if you're burning a joint, like you have like an experience of like, you know, how long it takes to burn, how soft is it in, on your lungs, like all these things. And they all kind of contribute to like what makes a particular favorite. It's like, it, experimentation is such a huge part of it. It's if, anyone's curious about it like that's the thing i always say is like you know try to try to get a few different experiences if you can because um they're all a little bit different and it's part of the fun of it really yeah it's like smell is also a sense that's so linked to memory and it's like if you are smoking a particular strain at one time and like something happens in your life good or bad you might associate it with that smell and it's just like oh man that'll keep you coming back to that that same you know thing over and over again it's like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That doesn't have to be scientific. It's like, it's all in your head anyway, man. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, uh, thank you very much, Justin. Wallet. Thank you, Aaron. How can um, people who are interested in Lightscale find it? Find us on lightscale.com. Um, we have all the information there. We're open and, now. And will you be doing, will you be opening up any of this findings, media, et cetera, to a public? I mean, will, will Lightscale be interesting to people who don't live in Oregon? Yes, I think so. I hope so. It's like, uh, we want to show what we're up to. I mean, we want to show like, what, what is the science that goes into this? Like, what is, um, what are the true facts about it? You know, like let's, let's dispel some of the mythology and, and lore associated with it and replace it with the equally interesting, um, actual science. Okay. Will you come back on the show, um, after a year, after six months, after you have, uh, the data set and we can uh, pour over it together. Yes. All right. Thank you again. And that was Stoner. Uh, Stoner is a weekly show. We'll have a new episode up every Tuesday. The show next week is amazing. It was actually supposed to be this week, but I had to push it back. The show was edited by Ann Garrett. All of our visual branding is done by Mickey Duget. Um, if you like the show, uh, say hi. Hi at stoner.co. Tell a friend. We'll be back next week. All right. Shabash.